0: Welcome back to the Traverse Theatres Open Submissions Workshop Podcast, where we give you the tools to take you from idea to draft. In this week's episode, we set some quick-fire playwriting-related questions to some familiar voices that you've heard from throughout the series. So today, Claire Duffy, Oliver Emmanuel, Matilda Abini, Hannah Lavery, Douglas Maxwell, Francis Poet, Megan Tyler, and Natasha Sutton-Williams will be your playwright, mentors, and guides throughout the episode. If you're enjoying the series so far, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at Traverse Theatre or email us info at traverse.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get these workshops straight to your feed as soon as they're released each Wednesday. What's your most memorable experience as a Theater goer?
1: A large pterodactyl came out on the Citizens Theatre stage at Fever Dream Southside by Douglas Maxwell. I honestly don't think I've been so mind blown as a writer seeing something like that. Um, And also just, I was just in fits of giggles at seeing this amazing, ridiculous, brilliant thing that had been threaded all the way through on stage. It was just excellent.
2: I went to see a a production of Chris Hannon's amazing play, Elizabeth Gordon Quinn. Once it's one of my favourite shows. And during this night, there was a thunderstorm outside. It was in the Citizens and... It started off just like a normal storm, but then it started getting all totally wild. You, the walls were shaking and the roofs were rattling, and then you get started getting these massive big, kind of, and the actors had to just drop all their technique and all their rehearsals and just scream from the edge of the stage, can I have a quiet word with you? And it, all their technique went away, and they were hating it. I could tell the actors were hating it, but my God, the audience, they got, comp- we all bonded. We were having a blast because it just made very clear what theatre is, which is an experience that only happens tonight. It, it's not made for repeats. It's not about that. You never write a play and think to yourself, uh, this will make sense to the audience the second time they see it. You know, it's just about tonight and the weather has something to do with it. The context of the audience's life, what's going on with them, affects the meaning of the play. Anyway, it was pretty cool.
3: I have to go back to first time I suppose I got real shivers down my spine and felt the palpable excitement of having hundreds of people in a room all moved together by the same performance and it was Ian McKellen being Richard Third, the final speech of Richard Third, and I was probably about 14 and it blew me away um, and I stood up and I was clapping but I could have cried. And I think, yes, it was an extraordinary performance and it's an amazing end to an amazing story. Um, but it was just the power of all of those people all together, I suppose.
4: But one that really stood out for me very early on in my career, um, I went to go see a show called Bears in Space and what was really other than the title what was really brilliant um about it was um it used puppetry and uh i'd never that was my first experience of at least seeing something kind of like a show that had puppetry in it that wasn't necessarily like aimed at children um and it was just brilliant like it opened my mind in a way uh in a way of how imaginative it was uh, the performers were incredible and the 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 storytelling was brilliant Um, and it just kind of really reminds me when I think of that show to put all all my favourite things that I enjoy as a theatre goer into my work, that my taste as a theatre goer is also the things I want to create, I want to make people laugh and feel moved and feel a little bit different when they leave the the theatre. How did you start out as a writer?
5: I started my career in script development, so as a script reader. Then I became a literary associate um, at uh, Hampstead Theatre. I'd been a literary assistant at the Bush Theatre. I'd been a script reader for the National Theatre, Soho, um, and then I moved up to Scotland for the um, job of literary manager at the National Theatre of Scotland. And um, and all through that time, I had worked with amazing writers, and it was very humbling. Uh, the idea that you would write when you were getting to work with Zinni Harris and Dennis Kelly, I mean, was ridiculous. Why, why would you even put yourself through the humiliation? Um, But then I had a child and I was on maternity leave and I was away from it all. And suddenly, I don't know whether it was the, the humiliation of, um, of my very long labor, uh, including a, a, very odd moment where lots of uh, student doctors all came in and just watched me in silence whether perhaps humiliation no longer had its power on me now I was a mother but um, I started writing then and uh, never looked
6: back. So I was working in a bookshop in 2002 i just finished university um, and I had an idea just the very first few lines of a play um, and I really didn't want to work in a bookshop so I phoned up my friend uh, Dan Bai uh, from university and I said, I think I've got an idea for a play. Uh, we should take it to the festival. Um, uh, Would you direct it for me? Um, and he said, yes, foolishly. And so that's what we did. I wrote a play. Um, we took it to the festival. It cost us £87. Um, we, got, we wrote to m and and got free suits and we wrote to Ikea and got a free set. Um, and then uh, we got, it was back in the day, this is obviously the early noughties, so we were lucky enough to get a review from The Guardian and uh, and it was a good one and we managed to uh, uh, then get some funding to tour around. So yes that was that's how I started out.
1: I began my journey as a writer when I was on the BA acting course at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. There was a module called On the Verge which basically allowed us all to take on different roles within the industry and at the time, my favourite player was Waiting for Gotto by Samuel Beckett, which you might know. And I read somewhere that Beckett said that women couldn't do Godot because they didn't have prostates. So I was a bit like, well, fuck you, Beckett, and wrote my own version. And then from there, it sort of went to a number of different festivals and picked up some awards and some steam. And I really wasn't expecting that trajectory at all. And it pretty much changed
7: my life. I think I'd have to be honest and say I've had many starts and many stops. Um, I think the biggest thing for me would have been would have been the Scottish Book Trust. Actually, I wrote a a wee story for their um, My Favorite Place project back in uh, ninety no two thousand and eleven or twelve or something, and I think that was kind of me getting back into. It was probably the first time actually of, of sending work out. putting it out there um in any sort of concerted way um and then from that I just I I think I went through about a year where I just looked on every like I think it was the Scottish Book Trust writers opportunity site and I just chose everything that had a deadline or a submission thing and I almost just wrote to the submission and I did that for a period of about six months and I think that and get accepted for things by doing that, kind of build up my confidence. And, and it was probably quite a slow process of beginning to take myself seriously and then going to open mics and reading my work and then just going to every workshop I could find and could afford. Um, but I suppose really in terms of being a playwright, what start or writing for theatre, the thing that really started that for me was um, finding a wee room in Edinburgh, for the Edinburgh Fringe and with a group of friends putting on for one Sunday in the fringe just little things that we've written and performed them ourselves and and I think through that I started to meet people and people started to see my work and and I grew confidence by the responses I got. But but I've been trying to start to be a writer. Well I tried to start to be a writer for much of my late teens and twenties. And I don't think it was until I was in my mid thirties that I kind of found a way how to do it. And I think it took me a long time to learn how to become a writer and how you and how you could who you sent stuff to and how you navigated that world. So um so thanks to the Scottish Book Trust, I would think,
3: for that.
0: Where and when do you do your writing?
3: So my ideal day um would be to get up um feeling good and go for a run and then come home and write for maybe two hours. Um and then have some food, a little sleep, and then get up and then do some editing in the afternoon. Like that never happens like that. I write anywhere. Um I will write with my laptop
7: up while I'm making the family dinner. I will write um in my bed if I've got ten minutes. I will write on the train. Um and I what I don't do, a lot of writers talk about having a perfect space and they'll say my house is never clean never cleaner than when I have to write, I've got a writing deadline. Me, I will, everything can fall apart around me and I will sit on my laptop and I will type the story if I've got something to do, if someone's asked me to write something. So for me, I think it's really about just not thinking you need a certain, um, you know, things have to be a certain way for you to write. I think you just have to treat it like a job. Like I've got a 20 minute window, I've got to get this done, I'll get it done, you know, or the telly's on and the kids are happy or whatever i'm just getting my laptop out and i'll just get something done and i'll get finished um and so i just i i if i've got any tips or routine it's just like there's no there's no ideal um environment for you in a way it's just about you know taking advantage of every moment that you can um find you know so if that is If you've got a train journey, if you've got like a 20-minute train journey or a bus journey every day, use that to write something. Say, at the end of this 20-minute journey, I'm going to have a page of something. Or if I'm at home and and everyone wants to watch, a a, you know, like a a rubbish TV programme that I'm interested in, then I'll just get my laptop up on my lap and I'll just type away something. I'll get something done. And so it's just finding
3: those moments and not thinking it has to be a certain way. And I did the um, IASH Fellowship. That was glorious because I had a room with a door and a lock. And there was one telephone in there and only one person knew the number. And that was like the best thing.
0: (laughs) What's the best piece of writing advice you've ever been given?
6: I was lucky enough to be mentored by uh, Richard Bean um, when I was quite a young writer. And he said, uh, write for actors. Um, and I think that's a really good piece of advice. Um, If you write for actors, if you write good parts for actors, actors will want to be in your play. Um, and, and I think that really makes difference in terms of the, the quality of what you get back
7: I'm not sure who said this, probably quite a lot of people probably my mother, is just get on with it, just do it you know, if you want to do something just do it, don't worry about being a perfectionist, don't worry about it being 100% that's what editing is, that's what um, getting in the room with your work with actors and everything else just do it, just get it on the page get words on the page, because if you don't have words on the page there's nothing to work with and I think the biggest obstacle to people is just thinking that they have to have the complete idea or they have to that every sentence they write is perfect and they'll write a sentence and they'll spend a whole day just working on that one sentence and for me it's just get all the words on the page just get it all down and then spend the next you know two weeks two years perfecting but you can't do any of that until
4: you have stuff on the page. So as my mother would say, just get on with it. It's about being patient because writing is the long game. It is a long game career. There aren't overnight successes. Those things just don't happen. Um, It takes forever to write a play. (laughs) So you need a lot of patience with yourself, with the industry, but also uh, a lot of patience as you develop your craft. Like that, that, the hours and, the years that's going to take. Um, I think just being being patient with yourself as you learn, um, and being persistent. Uh, this is an industry with a lot of rejection, um, and it can be really painful, especially earlier. On. I mean, actually, rejection doesn't really ever get any easier. I think you just get better at being able to move forward. But um, mm. I think being really persistent that. This is what you want to do you want to you want to tell stories you want to collaborate with other artists you want to put your stories out into the world and hope they have some kind of effect and and I think you you kind of have to have like reminders as to why you're doing this um, because it can get really um, it can get really difficult and take a while to see things to see your work on the stage or for you to be in something or direct something so be patient and persistent. Um, and don't give up after your first try like I've written tons of terrible plays that I'm very grateful will never see the light of day but they are terrible but by writing those terrible plays I wrote better ones I I (laughs) couldn't write the better ones if I didn't start at terrible
1: number one would be don't be a dick that's just general advice for the industry and I think it's very important Number two would be from Oliver Emmanuel, who said, just finish the thing, which I sort of reiterated in my own lessons with my students. Just finish the thing. Even if it's dog shit, just finish the fucking thing. And the third piece of advice I've received, which I will carry with me to the grave, is from Rebecca Mayers at the Lyric Theatre. And she said, more bonkers, more mad, more insane. And I
3: have run with that ever since. We were presenting unlimited. We were presenting a double bill, um, and I was performing in one half of that double bill, and I had written the second half. And my performance as an actor and as a writer were equally um, panned. It was really rubbish, and like I kind of thought, you know, what's the point? What's the point of going on? Um, and my dad. Said kind of exactly that. He said to me, well, so you're going to give up now then, are you? Um, And I just love him for saying that to me because I kind of felt like maybe I could have. Um, And he obviously knew that because he said he was saying in his own way, don't give up. Um, So so don't give up It's probably the best bit of advice that anybody can give you. Look, I'm crying a little bit
0: do you ever struggle with creative block if so how'd you get over it
8: I think if you're really if you're really really struggling um I think it's worth writing something else for fun in a different medium to keep your writing juices flowing so you know writing a piece of poetry writing in a journal writing a song um really writing in any other medium and just going okay this is just a bit of fun there's no pressure to that if that if you're really struggling with that i would say do something else creative like playing an instrument drawing reading um you know going playing with your nephews or you know just doing something fun and creative you know you could make like a a den with with um kids that you hang out with or whatever. And if that still doesn't, you come back to your work and you're still like, okay, I, I can't deal with this. Then just do anything else and give your mind a rest because your mind is saying like, I'm not, I've, I'm not energized for this. So it is important, although I don't necessarily take my own advice, to take a break.
6: I have kind of come to the conclusion that you're always gonna get stuck um, at one point in, in the process of writing. Um, and I try not to stress out about it too much, um, or I mean I do stress out about it, but I try not to stress about it too much. Um, I think it's just part of the business of creating something um, that you'll get so far, and then there'll be a point where you where you get stuck. Um, I do all kinds of things. Sometimes I'll be doing, I'll do some reading. Sometimes I'll go for a walk. Sometimes I will um, just. Um, just try and do something else. Um, just The thing to do is often take your mind off it. The reason I think that one gets stuck is because it is often ego, is that you've got in the way somehow that you're worried about it being good or worried about it being bad. And actually what you really need to do is get out of the way.
7: I don't think I've ever really suffered from that traditional writer's block of, of looking at a blank page and not knowing what to write. I think the biggest difficulty for my, the biggest block to my sort of creativity or writing is the fact that I have other responsibilities um and I think as as many women probably suffered the same is that actually it's the other demands on my time as you know bringing up three kids about yeah I'm holding down a full-time job um um and also I suppose for a long time it was my own confidence about um if I had a right to be a writer um if anyone wanted to listen to my stories, if I was writing about the right thing. Um, you know, so there was a lot of that. I think there was a lot in my kind of my uh, teens and my twenties, my early thirties, where I just wasn't I didn't feel like I I had there was any space for my words and what I wanted to say and I'd have a lot of confidence in the fact that anyone would want to read it or be interested or to watch what I wrote. Um and then I had then it was the struggle of trying to balance motherhood and full-time work and and all of those other things to find the space but I tell you if you give me an hour in a room with a laptop or a bit of paper or a pen then I will grab that time and use it as best I can and so I've never I don't think I've ever felt like I didn't have anything to write about I just was never always I don't wasn't always sure that anyone wanted to listen to it.
0: Why do you think theatre is important?
2: I mean obviously I do think theatre is important because I've dedicated my adult life to it and I love it deeply, as uh, and passionately. I don't know how important's the right word, is it? When when I, when important gets knocked around in the arts, I get a little bit itchy. It reminds me of the way we teach Shakespeare in this country. You know, to, telling a thirteen-year-old kneel before this really important thing that makes no sense whatsoever. This is the best you'll ever see in your life, and if you don't understand it, you're thick. You know, and I <clears throat> I think maybe the arts and what we do is so vital and so wonderful because it's not important, it's it's the excess, it's what's on top of our human experience.
5: It's really interesting at the moment, living through this pandemic and how it's such a frightening moment for theatre. Um, you know, which theatres will survive it? What will the industry be like, the other side of this? How long will it take audiences to trust being in a space together? Um. But so I suppose it is a moment where it consolidates your sense of how important theatre is. I've been watching all the live streamings at home, lots of things that you can watch. And it's great because you're sitting at home and you don't have to pay anything and you can be in your slippers and you can have your cup of tea and you can pause it. But for me, none of that is what theatre is. And I think theatre is being in a room full of people and collectively responding to what we're watching on stage and i think um i think it's i think it's in our dna that that sense of um how it how theatre can teach us
8: our,
5: our own sense of morality you think about the sort of greek tragedies um you think about ibsen that sense where we watch a character and we watch them do something that we don't want them to do and we all collectively go, don't do it. And that confirms our sense of what is right and wrong in the world. Um, and and that is, you can't recreate that. That is theatre um, and it is vital. It's part of being human. I had an amazing conversation with, um, the reporter, um, Alan Little the other day, who was talking about being in Sarajevo, uh, in their lockdown, three years, eight months of it. And he said people risked their lives to go to the theater. Um, and, and they didn't have electricity in their homes. They didn't have water. And I said, if they'd had Netflix, would they still have risked their lives? He said, I think they would. Um, and, 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 I think they would. I think human beings need those stories and we need to receive them collectively.
2: Because we're human and we need more than what it is to just survive. We are born needing more than that. A baby comes into the world screaming, I deserve better than this. You know, we know there's something more. We can feel it and we're reaching for it our entire lives. We need to be different and change and reach. And the arts and all those things we add on is that reach in that other world. We don't need jewellery, we don't need fancy cakes, we don't need rock and roll, we don't need theatre, you know, and yet, without it, we're just not humans, we're just animals. It's all this stuff where our soul, for want of a better word, reaches out. And in theatre, we do that in company with other people, trapped in the same room, humans over here telling stories to humans over there, and you're a little bit closer to the White heat of it, I think, a little bit. So maybe importance—not the right word. It's not about surviving; it's about living.
5: What does the Traverse mean to you? Well, um, the Traverse means something different to me than since for the twelve years I've been in Scotland than it did um, when I lived in London. When I lived in London, it was uh, the 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 place of all uh, joy uh, and sorrow in the Edinburgh Festival. It was the sort of, the thrill of the festival as sort of plunging yourself into a million different worlds and being elated and being heartbroken and being transported. Um, And since I've moved to Scotland, I now know the incredible work it's doing all year round. And my career is uh, really, you can't look at my career and separate it from the Traverse.
2: The Traverse is an open door me, always has been, even when no other doors were open, I would go and have a meeting and somebody in the Traverse would tell me what I was doing wrong, they would listen they would buy me a coffee, they'd make me feel like I was part of this scene um, and it still is somewhere I want. I take my work, I take my ideas I just like being there the, I think of it like the bar rather than the theatres, I, I picture it packed with all these different people of all generations all mingling and ideas and aesthetics all kind of in competition with each other but in a good way. Just trying to get better and better and better. So it's an open door and it's a place where I can be in conversation with lots of artists younger and older than me.
1: Bear with me. The Travis Theatre the Traverse Theatre feels like a dad. Now if, if there's another if there's the lyric theatres like my mother, the Theatre Theatre's like my dad, so my mother's like, Oh, stay at home, stay in Northern Ireland, stay here Whereas the Travis Theatre's like, you go you work, you do this, we're going to support you, we're always going to be there. And also it's just the place that's given me the most opportunity at such an early age as a playwright. I really don't know where I'd be without the Traverse Theatre.
0: You can watch or listen to all available open submissions workshops on our website. For more information and to support our talent development work, please see the Support Us page on our website. Every donation makes a huge difference.